Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 18th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Hello and good evening. I'm Liz Mitchell. Dr. Marvin Dunn states that Florida was not always the sunshine state. This was a reinvention of the 1950s to attract tourists. Before that, Florida was a racist Southern state, just like all the others, and in some ways worse. A Black person in Florida stood a greater chance of being lynched than a Black person in Mississippi or Alabama. But almost all of Florida's painful race racial past has been whitewashed, marginalized, or buried intentionally. A former naval officer, Marvin Dunn, is a professor emeritus of the Department of Psychology at Florida International University, retiring as a chairperson of the department in 2006. He has published numerous articles in leading newspapers on race and ethnic relations, including the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, the Orlando Sentinel, and the Miami Herald. He is the author of the following books, The History of Florida Through Black Eyes, Create Space Independent, Independent Publishing Platform, Black Miami in the 20th Century, University Press of Florida in 1997. He is the co-author of The Land of, of This Land is Our Land, California, University of California Press in 2003, and The Miami Riot of 1980, Crossing the Bounds, Lexington, Massachusetts, D.C. Health, 1984. However, these days, Dr. Dunn has turned his passion for history into a, to a historical immersion experience called the Teach the Truth Tours. Several weeks ago, while guiding a group of tourists into Florida's seamy past, Dr. Dunn was interviewed on MSNBC by podcast producer Tremaine Lee. The Teach the Truth Tour examines how Black people in Florida lived and died in a white supremacist violence. Here to tell us more about this research and these impactful and transformative tours is Dr. Marvin Dunn. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you. I'm very, very excited to be here. Bring it on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> you know, one of the questions I was thinking of is, you know, with all this research and uh, painstaking plus teaching, and then too, in psychology of all things, have you yet figured out and understood the mindset of white supremacists? Uh, have you found out the answer with that? Yes. And I'm, I'm not the first to discover uh, the answer. Uh, there is uh, in the human soul deeply, I think, there in many, 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 many people. Um, a sense of wanting to be superior or wanting to be better than or wanting to be more capable than. And when that gets applied to race, you have a very, very big problem. But people can't suppress the need to be dominant, to overpower, to be powerful. Um, and 
that kind of uh, insecurity that's turned towards race, then you have the kind of history we've had in our country and particularly in the state of Florida. We understand the races. It needs to be superior to somebody. And we have a culture and history that has encouraged that among people who are white and, and has rewarded that to people who are white. I, I think of um, history, but then I think of the present. And it's, it's it's just as if the pendulum is, I hate to say, swinging back. And uh, a lot of advances uh, that we've made as a people are under attack. Um, and even efforts to suppress the truth, we see that more and more. Banning books, whitewashing history, um, penalizing teachers if they teach certain curriculum. Trying to take the narrative of things and just rewrite them all together. How does that make you feel? I mean, you you've lived long enough to see uh, some some of the negatives and plus some of the positives. But what does that do do to your psyche? You know, um, I've lived long enough to have had to sit on the back of the bus. I've lived long enough to have been the bright kids that that they sent over to the white school to get their used textbooks to bring over to our school. I did that. I'm old enough to have had to go to the back doors of white people's homes. I lived that experience as a person born in Florida in 1940. I'm 82 years old now. That history, my history, is relevant. It's knowable. It's teachable. It's learnable. And there are fewer and fewer of us still left who lived that experience. So in Florida, for someone to be, uh, to, to, to remove the lived experience, of, uh, of a black person, of black people in general. It's not just insulting, it's infuriating, but that's what's happening in our state. Uh, we can't talk about the pain of having been a black person growing up in Florida and institutional racism that followed us uh, and still follows us uh, through life. So Florida is going through a disastrous uh, change in terms of education, race, and the power relations between blacks and whites in our state. It's a very, very momentous and sad time right now. African-American history and the history of all minorities is important. Why is it so important to tell these stories and to tell the truth when we're telling these stories? Because if you look at the history of Blacks in in Florida in particular, it's a very brutal history, a violent history. These are the kinds of things that people want to rush away from as quickly as possible. Get the bad stuff, and and a lot of Black people feel that way too. In my research, I talked to Black folks who did not want to talk about what happened to their cousins, to their to their parents. Mm-hmm. So the kind of history that we've lived in Florida uh, has produced stories that must be told or we will rush away from them too quickly. You think that 20 years from now, everybody would know who George Floyd was? They won't. I've gone to classrooms in Miami, I, basically all black high schools, and asked how many of you have ever heard of Arthur McDuffie or the Miami Riot of 1980, which at the time we thought the world would never forget this. Not a hand goes up, not even among teachers. So the more violent the history, the faster we seem to want to move away from it, and the more determined I am to save those stories. So I have made my life's work now taking students, taking young people with a parent or a grandparent to places in Florida where the blood was shed, where people died, where our ancestors suffered, and having the experience of walking that ground, breathing that air, being in that place, connecting with the ancestors is meaningful, particularly when we do it with a parent or with grandma or grandpa. And those stories go back home, and they're told around the Christmas tree, around the Thanksgiving table, so they will not die. And when we've taken kids on these tours, it's not just the 40 or 50 that we take out there. They take cameras with them, and they're taking film, and they're sending it all over the world. Mm -hmm. So we perpetuate the stories, not just by taking people to the actual ground, 
but by the capacity now with the internet to share this information, to share these stories around the world. I want our listening audience uh, to know exactly what's going on in Florida. Um, I don't want to assume that everybody knows things. So your governor, Santos, has signed the Stop Woke Act. And for our listening audience that do not know what that is, would you please tell us? Yes. Our governor DeSantis, Ron DeSantis, is convinced that liberal ideology is being forced on students in schools, particularly in colleges and universities, Mm -hmm. and that there's this uh, attitude among liberals that you must be woke, you must be racially sensitive, you must be very, very hypersensitive to racial disparities. And uh, DeSantis wants to stop that. He doesn't want people to be woke to racial discrimination, to racial uh, uh, histories. Uh, So it is to stop the idea of liberals teaching kids things that conservatives don't want them to know. And so in doing that, he has a very uh, supportive legislature, controlled by Republicans, that have passed law after law after law, restricting what we can teach in colleges and schools in Florida. For example, we can teach about slavery in Florida. The Stop Woke Act doesn't stop us from teaching about slavery, but we can't say it was bad. We can't say it was evil. We can teach about the Holocaust in Florida schools, but we can't say it was evil. That's indoctrinating according to the current Stop Woke Act movement in Florida. So what they have done, or what they're trying to do, is to de-emotionalize history, take the feelings out of it, just teach the facts, just the facts. But I don't know how to teach without feeling about an enslaved woman having a child taken from her breast and sold away into slavery and not tell students that was evil. I don't know how to show pictures of, of babies and gas in, in the ovens in, in, in Germany and not tell students that was evil, that was bad. But that's the kind of, 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 of reality we're facing in Florida. And there are those of us who are resisting it uh, eight college professors, myself included, and one graduate student have sued the state of Florida and Governor DeSantis to have them stop trying to tell us what to do in our classrooms. I, let me just say this. I was teaching in Florida, in, in the State University System of Florida, before Ron DeSantis was born. And now to have him sign up to me and tell me what I can teach and cannot teach in my classroom, I was defending my country on aircraft carriers before DeSantis was born. Now it tells me that I can't tell students what I believe to be the truth in my classrooms. It's, it's absurd. I will not stand for it. I will not change one syllable of anything I teach in the class. They can drag me out uh, uh, screaming with the police before I will change anything that I teach. Well, what I noticed, too, in, in preparing uh, to speak with you today is um, some of the newscasts with DeSantos signing this into law there were actually black people supporting him. And I saw a child holding a sign. Uh, and that just, I, I, I'm speechless. Well, we, we do have some misguided black people in Florida. We have some black people who do belong to the Republican Party. And when these kinds of uh, things are exposed, it's good to have, as Trump does, get a black person or two in the background to give the idea that you're being supported by black people. I've lived almost all my life in Florida. I have never seen Black people come together as I'm seeing it happen today with what this man is doing and tampering about history. Mm-hmm. He has stepped on a live wire in the Black community. 
He has got our young ones upset. We've been trying to get our kids upset about things for decades. Now DeSantis has done that for us. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's one of those things that uh, on, the, on the front end looks bad, but in the end, it's better. It, it makes things even better. And I just, you folks in, are in Indiana. I just don't think of what DeSantis is doing in back in Florida with support from the folks in the backwoods in North Florida is going to fly in Indiana. It's going to fly in Pennsylvania. It's going to fly in Ohio and in Michigan. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, it's just not, it's, this is not the America that we know, where, where the government tells professors what they can teach, where the government tells teachers that they cannot touch on certain subjects. So I don't think this is going to fly in this aspirations to, to be president. I think, in fact, it's going to backfire very badly. Well, you would think that there would be more problems to deal with the masses that were going to help people versus spending time and energy on this Stop Woke Act. And also Florida, to my understanding, has stopped African an African-American studies program or course because it spoke about reparations, That's right. Black Lives Matter, and uh, Black gender and sexuality. Mm-hmm. And of course, the removal of books. Now I'm thinking I'm in a free land, a free country, and they're banning books. That reminds me, right. since I love history, of stuff that happened in other mm-hmm. countries. That's this right. is America. We're banning books? Yes. You're going to tell one, me I can't read something? Yes, that's yes. One parent in Martin County, Florida, went in and got 92 books removed in a day from the school, uh, school system in Martin County. One parent complained about a, a, a professor at Florida Atlantic University uh, indoctrinating uh, his child with civil rights lectures, and that person got fired. So now under DeSantis' Parental Rights Act, parents can now dictate what can be taught and what cannot be taught in high schools and elementary schools and below. It, it suggests, it, it makes educators less important. It puts parents and their priorities uh, ahead of educational experts, and it's a disaster for Florida. Right now, we cannot, Florida right now is, is second from the bottom in paying teachers. And now we're losing teachers as a result of DeSantis' policies that now punishes teachers just for being themselves. But yes, in Florida, they can tell you, you cannot have that book. My, two of my books cannot go into a Florida school without that teacher risking being fired. My books talk about reparation. They talk about anti-black talk about slavery. They talk about institutional racism. Those subjects are now banned in Florida schools and teachers are being punished if they even approach them. Well, what do you, do you have any suggestions for uh, communities, even s- such as Bloomington, uh, how to delve into their history and, and how we should go about it because it, it seems like what's happening in Florida one by one is occurring in other states. That's right. And this to me, to me personally, it's unacceptable. Well, I think one of the things that, that, that needs to happen in northern states is that you need to claim the ground where our history was made. Go to the places and make them historically significant places, protected places where things have happened to us in your state that are important. All the violence didn't just happen in Georgia, Mississippi, and Florida. So I think identifying our history in terms of its geographical locations is one thing. Second, you got to get involved in school board meetings. What DeSantis is doing in Florida is controlling school board elections. He's putting people on school boards who agree with his policies of limiting racial discussions. 
he is going at the at that level of change in the system to try to force his opinion about uh, education uh, on, on, on 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 school districts. He has his moms for liberty. I don't know if you've heard about these 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 women. Moms for liberty. These are DeSantis supporters who are sort of like uh, uh, police in the schools. They go in, they see what, what's going on, and make complaints about what they don't like, and the schools have to respond to these immediately. It's a very, very potent. He has these chapters all over the country, including, I'm sure, in Indiana. So just as the, the right-wing moms for liberty are going into schools and identifying books that they don't want in schools, we need to have in our schools on, uh, 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 that, uh, that particular series of black children the same kind of force among parents to protect our, our, our history and our books in these schools. Organize, go to school board meetings, make your voices heard. That's where the power is being applied at the school board level in Florida. Um, one other question, and I'm, I, I could see Clarence has got <laughs> questions lined up. Um, what will this country, in your opinion, start telling the truth when whites are no longer the majority? Well, we got to start telling the truth long before that. We have to start doing that now. Uh, clearly, uh, you know, America is going to become a brown country. It's inevitable. Uh, when that does happen, we are going to see history being, uh, our, our history and Hispanic history, too, in our country being written and told very, very differently. But as I said, we can't wait for that. We need to in, in, insist that our history be recognized, respected, told, and propagated among our young people. We have to insist upon that. And we need to use the internet, technologies that they use, to get those lessons out and get those messages out. Absolutely. Clarence? For those who just joined us uh, this evening, we're having a wonderful conversation with Professor Emeritus uh, from the Department of Psychology at Florida International University, Dr. Marvin Dunn. Not only is he a researcher, as you can hear, he's an author, a presenter, and now he's a tour host of an amazing experience called Teach the Truth tours. Uh, before we get into the actual Teach the Truth tours, I want to double back on a couple of things. I heard recently that a book about Althea Gibson and Roberto Clemente were removed from the shelves, but the uh, the uh, uh, ramifications or the pushback was such that they were re-vetted, quote-unquote, and put That's back right. on the shelf. That's right. And and then, too, with what always gets me is some people create this definition of wokeness first to, to throw a negative slant on it. And I'm sure whoever uh, came up with this concept of woke, either they didn't patent the definition quick enough or something, but everybody has their own definition of woke. And it depends on what community is trying to define it. It, it could take a, a negative slant or it could take a more realistic, but yet positive slant. And uh, I've heard DeSantis say that one of his uh, uh, reasons or motivations behind trying to uh, clamp down, for lack of a better word, is so that our children don't uh, don't feel bad or not made to feel bad yes. about themselves. Yes. Now, yes. as someone who is African-American or Native American or Hispanic, growing up every day in America, uh, if you're not careful, every day you're being made to feel bad. And it takes a certain resoluteness and a, knowing, a knowledge of your history through your parents, hopefully, and your grandparents, your relatives, whatever, to uh, value your history. And just so blatant a thing, and we don't only see this in Florida, but it's sort of the dog whistle that's going all around America. Right. And so we hope that our legislative leaders will 
will dig their feet into the earth and just push back against that. One thing well, I want to say, Clarence, just let me just say, uh, I've been active in Florida classrooms for a long, long time. I have never heard a teacher in a Florida classroom tell a white student, you need to feel bad or guilty for what happened mm-hmm. in this thing. That's right. That's not happening. Nobody's right. telling, I'm not, I've not, if I, I, was, I was a school principal of a school that I founded. For 15 years, I was the principal of that school. If one of my teachers had told a student, you need to feel, a white student, you need to feel bad because of something that happened in slavery, I would have him or her out of my building that same day. It isn't happening. The Santos is a big lie that, uh, that the, the woke movement is uh, teaching students in our schools to hate our country. That's ridiculous. I love America. I served my country six years as a naval officer defending my country. And this idea that we're being, that the, the liberals are now destroying our youth by getting them to, to hate our country, it's just demeaning and, and totally not true. I'm sorry, I just had to. No, no, thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I I wonder, when we talk about motivations, just how sincere DeSantis is, or is he trying to hit the right buttons or touch that third rail so that voters could help propel him to the Oval Office? But maybe inside, he, he doesn't even buy into this stuff he's he's espousing. Uh, yes, he does. Okay. Uh, yeah, 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 he does. If you go back to his history uh, as a member of the Freedom Caucus in the House, a very conservative group in the House, he was right there amongst them. Uh, he believes it. He buys it. I wouldn't say that that DeSantis is an out and out racist, uh, but racists think that he is. The Klan believes that he is. The neo Nazis believe him to be racist, and uh, and that's enough to get that part of the Republican Party behind him to try to win the nomination for the, uh, for the presidency. Mm-hmm. So his heart doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is what he's doing, right. for whatever reason. And what he's doing is, he, is, is attacking Black people, attacking Black education, attacking other uh, vulnerable groups to try to attain power. He is appealing to the worst of us instead of the best in us, and particularly by attacking the weak. What he's doing at New College, I'm not quite sure you guys have ever heard about that. That little tiny state college in Florida, 700 students, that he goes and, and passes the state. This is where work is going to start, right here at, at New College. Why didn't he do that at FAMU? The black institutions, the thousands of black students. He picks down the smallest, weakest element and tries to make his point by doing that. So I've arranged now to go to New College on the 20th of April to give a lecture on institutional racism on that campus, with or without the president's permission. All right. I want to shift gears um, to the true tours, to teach the true tours. What's the genesis of this? Uh, is this a, a natural spinoff from all the research uh, scholarly books that you put together, or, or was there uh, one similar moment that sort of led you to say, "I'm going to create an experience for people to learn about their history"? What happened? Well, class, I, I started traveling around Florida to places that racial violence took place going back to 1997. My first trip to Rosewood, Florida, where in 1923 the all black town was burned down. Uh, I hadn't really heard anything about Rosewood, but one Sunday I went uh, to Gainesville and I drove out to Rosewood about 40 miles west of Gainesville, totally rural area, uh, turned off this highway onto a dirt road and stopped at a cul-de-sac. I got out of my car and I looked through the woods and I saw a green tunnel running through, through the woods. It was the old railroad track that was used to evacuate some of the black people during that massive. So I started walking down that railroad track just woods, woods, and I saw a graveyard. And I wandered over and, and started poking around in the graveyard just around. And it was the Sunday, it was getting late, it was starting to rain, and I realized I was out there by myself. 
<laughs> so I started working. By the time I got back to my car, the heavens opened up and this, this downpour started. But that was my first step in Rosewood. And I've been going back ever since. In 2008, with a white partner, a gentleman from Live Oak, Florida, we bought five acres of land in Rosewood. So today, I'm the only black person who owns land in Rosewood. Those five pristine acres that we own that have been untouched since 1923. So I've been going up to my property, meeting people in the neighborhood. Rosewood is all white now. Uh, and getting more and more endeared to that land and determined to save it for history. Um, and then a few years ago, I started taking high school students out to my property to help clean it up. And not clean it up, but clear back the, the overgrowth and what have you. And that was the beginning of taking students to Rosewood, uh, which happened over a course of, 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 of years. Then DeSantis comes up and tells us that we have to hide certain things from our kids in particular. And it occurred to me, no, 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 no. We need to have our kids exposed to what happened to us on the ground, where it happened. So I got private funding uh, from a number of sources. We established a nonprofit called the Minor Center for Racial Justice. And we started raising money from private sources to take busloads of students to places in Florida where racial violence has taken place. Now, we don't use, at no expense to them, we pay all the expenses for the kids and the parents and grandparents to go. And these are overnight trips. Um, and it, it caught on. We, the people, people have just lined up to want to go on these tours. Uh, we're now planning one for New College. I just mentioned them a moment ago. Uh, but the impact has been incredible. When I take kids to Rosewood and they walk down that railroad track to be cleared, they realize that this was where lives got saved and taken. Kids start crying. The grandma starts crying. And is that bad? No. It shows they feel this place. They feel what happened in this place. And this is done, these experiences we go through, all these places that we go to, not with anger at white people for what happened. This is a sorrow for what happened to our people in that place that we should feel bad about. But not anger at somebody else for what happened 80, 90, 100 years ago. So I have been uplifted by these tours. Um, we take kids to, uh, I'll just mention one other, because this one has had a particularly big impact on, on us and on the kids we take, uh, to Live Oak, Florida, where in 1944, a young black boy named Willie James Howard, who's 15 years old, was lynched by three white men. For the same thing that they lynched Emmett Till for 10 years earlier, and never made the papers, never made any public. Notice uh, that boy was lynched and buried in the same day in an unmarked grave. So we go to Live Oak to Willie James's grave. The story is not being told. I made a, mil- a film about it. It's on our website. Uh, and those kids stand there and they touch that boy's gravestone. And many of them are moved to tears because they realize that could have been me. And not just black students. We take a diverse group of students on these tours. Um, and we'll continue to do that. And, and, and hopefully uh, we will continue to get the private support that we need to make this happen. We do this without any dependence on state funds. It's all from privately owned, privately raised funds. Uh, the website is the Miami Center for Racial Justice.org, where people can look at what we're doing, learn about the tours. Uh, the Miami Center for Racial Justice.org has a lot of information about the history of Florida, about these tours, and I invite people to take a look at that. And also, I put, I'd say 90% of my work is on my, uh, is on my website, donehistory.com. I have films, videos, stories, articles, um, a lot of material there on Florida Black history and on U.S. Black history. Donehistory.com. Could you repeat that uh, site again? Yes. Donehistory.com for my research on Black history. Donehistory.com. And, and we'll make sure to uh, mention that at the end of this uh, 
conversation. Please um, do. I, um, you know, I, I saw the movie Rosewood with Bing Ray. Yeah. And um, first, I had I, I knew about Black Wall Street out in Oklahoma, uh, and honestly, I had not heard about this community, this sort of um, uh, self-perpetuating, just you know, everyone pitching in becoming prosperous community right. because again again that that old that old accusation that has caused many a black man to go to their grave too early uh was hurled that that whole city was decimated same thing happened in uh black wall street right by a lie the uh, rosewood has one building left standing it's the jw white house mr white and his wife white uh ran the general store in rosewood and when the town was burned down they spared his store and Mr. Wright and his wife hid black women and children in their home. No boys in thir- over 13. But they hid those people in their home for three days until they could get a plane to come in and take them to safety. Most of the places I've gone to, all of the places I've gone to, except Live Oak, where they killed Willie James Howard, I found a few white folks in the record who did the right thing. Mm-hmm. Most folks didn't do anything. Most folks stayed silent. But in almost every instance, you have found a few people who did the right thing in a difficult moment. And we try to tell those stories, too. One of the complaints that the white folks in Rosewood have today is that, Dr. Dunn, y'all didn't tell our side. My granddad had his shotgun. He protected the black people from the mob. And it's true. They didn't make it up. So when I write history and tell history, I record stories of some stories. I try to tell these things with a sense of balance as to what happened to us and who helped us and who just who didn't. You mentioned um, that, you know, this the white people say, hey, you haven't told our side. We we tried to help. But uh, or or I have heard, well, I wasn't here during slavery. That's right. Or, or, you know, and I have to say, you know, I wasn't here either. But I'm at the age I um, I'm a baby boomer. I went to segregated schools. So if we, let's say if we don't talk about slavery. I'm alive today. Let's talk about my life in nineteen in the in the fifties and the sixties and the seventies. You don't look that old. Yeah, let's. <laughs> I do. You don't. What are you talking about? <laughs> Thank you, baby. Well, 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 when you when you shared your age, I was thinking there is no way uh, you look as if you're in your. 40s. I know. I mean, hey, Florida's doing something good down there. No age good. Yeah, so you know, I and I understand what they're saying that they don't want to be held accountable, but you know, uh, you feel bad. Uh, I'm sure that Emmett Till felt bad. There's been many black children that have felt bad. I didn't like those hand-me-down books, and you'd read comments exactly. and stuff. You exactly. know, all these kids writing stuff in these books, the hand-me-down books. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't like that either. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Liz, I, I put up a post up on my Facebook, my uh, Twitter page the other day uh, with a picture of a segregated bus with the black folks in the back and the white folks in front. Oh, back, black and white picture, beautiful picture. And I tried to tell people how I felt as a seven-year-old child with my mother holding my hand, taking me to the back of that bus, squeezing my hand until we got to the back and she relaxed and sat And I was re- reflecting on how I felt. I felt like I didn't deserve to sit up there with the white folks. Mm-hmm. That's what racism does to you, to children. You see white folks with advantages and things they can do that you can't. And it, it starts to give you the sense that you're not supposed to and you're not good enough. It took Morehouse College one week to whip that out of me. 
Oh, wow. But I, but I grew up in a segregated society in which, yes, you didn't appear to be good enough for the things that you saw white people get. And you grew up in the South, and everybody wants to blame and put racism on Southern states. I grew up in Indianapolis. Indianapolis had one of the first theme parks, Riverside, and I could not go. We could see and hear the, the roller coaster, the Mad Mouse. You could stand at the fence. We stood at the fence looking in as black kids. How do you think we felt looking through that fence, mm-hmm. seeing, seeing kids have fun, and we couldn't go in there? You know, I, I I would give the North a break, but you mentioned it, so I'll I'll make my point. When 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 the Civil War ended and the North helped us to become free, the reason that things got so bad so quickly was that the North gave up on the on blacks in the South. They needed that cotton sent from the South up to those mm-hmm. textile mills in New York and other places in the North. So they just turned their back and sharecropping replaced slavery. They still got the cotton sent north. The textile mills kept going, and blacks were in worse shape in some ways than they were during slavery. The North allowed that to happen. They just gave up and let reconstruction end. We're done. But bring the troops out of the South. You're, you're on your own. So you know, I, I, I think the North got a little bit too much credit for what, for what happened during that time period because they gave up too quickly, gave up far too soon on those of us who were still living in the South. Mm-hmm. What, what I like to, to talk about, I give tours here in Bloomington also, uh, is not to focus so much on the struggles. And of course, we had struggles. Native American had struggles. The Japanese had struggles here in this country. But to, to try to focus on empowerment, accomplishments, successes, and love for ourselves. That's to me is what's really important to instill in all of the children, no matter what color you are. Those are important. And how you get that way is seems to me to know the history of your country. Since we're in Bloomington, a college town, Indiana University, we have kids coming here from all over the world. They come here knowing American history. They know the history. They could speak English better than we do. So it's it's weird to me to think our country wants to put our history in the closet. When the whole world knows our history. So, you know, it's almost an embarrassment, don't you think? Well, you know, we uh, we have a lot of people in, in South Florida from the Caribbean in particular. And I am shocked about how much more they know about African-American history than we know here in Florida. So you're right. I think other countries have done a better job of teaching their own histories and histories of other countries than we have. Take Germany, for, for example. Germany now requires... German students to know the Holocaust, to know what happened, to, to, to be aware of those evils that took place during that time. We're doing the exact opposite, rushing away from those things that start our history as if they, as if they didn't happen. So I, I, I'm glad that there are audiences in the North who are interested in what's happening in Florida, because this is coming your way. A big part of what's happening is that more and more white people feel that the fight's over. We gave them Civil rights, we gave blacks affirmative action, we freed them. So what else do they want? There's a sense among a lot of white folks in Florida, men in particular, that blacks now have it better than they do. The tables are turned, and there's a reason to have to to stop woke and to halt this uh, progress towards racial parity that we are all hopeful that that we're on that journey. So this is part of the reason we see these things happening here in Florida. The evolving sense that blacks have had enough White people are now at, at a disadvantage at this time of stop. You know, I, I had a um, 
uh, a colleague, uh, well, actually someone I reported two years ago, uh, it was around the time that uh, our first black president uh, was inaugurated. And of course, yeah, I was lifted up. I was, I was, I guess all of us were walking 10 feet taller and, uh, you know, with a smile on his face, he said, you know, hey man, in this great feeling, you all won. I said, what do you mean? Well, it's safe to say that racism now is, is in the past, you know, think of Obama <laughs> and uh, that mindset uh, yeah. that, you know, this yeah milestone moment. Yeah. I mean, come on, here we were, we were jubilant with a Supreme Court justice, although that's debatable, but nevertheless, we were jubilant over some Supreme Court justices, congressmen, senators, and now, but, you know, the epitome. You know. But Clarence, you know, I, I think the election of Obama made it worse uh, for Blacks in a way, because it emboldened the far right wingers, the, 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 the white supremacists, to be even more determined Stop that kind of black power attainment. So, part of the reason that uh, that uh, that Trump was successful was a backlash to the wonderful the experience that we had with our first black president. Mm-hmm. I, I want to. Um, well, I want to do two things. One, I want to just give a quick idea. If you just tuned in to bring it on, we're having this really uh, educational and informative conversation with Professor Emeritus, Dr. Marvin Dunn, who was Professor Emeritus of the Department of Psychology at Florida International University. Uh, he's a researcher, documentarian, author, presenter, and now tour host of an amazing experience called Teach the Truth Tours. Uh, I want to go back to, you mentioned something about the Civil War, but I, I want to go back when slavery was uh, uh, was the way of life. Uh, what was the cash crop in Florida? Um, where did slaves, how did slaves come to Florida? And then I have a follow-up question that once they got here and they want to stay here, they're on a peninsula and there only really is one direction you can go to get out of Florida. So I want to talk about that, but, but let's talk about what was the cash crop? What was the, the it was it, it, it was cows, cattle. Yeah. Florida has more cows than any other state except Texas. Uh, when the Spanish came in, they brought cattle in here, but over the years became wild. They populated Central Florida in particular. So we have thousands and thousands of wild cattle in Central Florida. Those wild cattle fed the, the, the Confederate Army. That's where most of the meat that fed the Confederate Army came from, Central Florida. So when the war was over, a lot of white people rushed out to Florida to get into the cattle business, and particularly in Central Florida. Uh, so that was that was really the draw after the Civil War, that particular industry. And of course, cotton in North Florida was was a, was a major crop, uh, but it, it really was the, the the Spanish cows, the descendants of those wild cattle, that really fueled Florida's economy for many, 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 many decades. So, so then my my second part too of that was say I, I'm I'm here in slavery in bondage, and I got to get out of here. So directional, directionally speaking, I'm on a peninsula. Right. All roads lead north now. And I'm curious because Liz and I talked about this. Did some of our ancestors escape to Cuba? Well, some did, but many, many escaped to the Bahamas. Yay. On our website, uh, there's one, I made a film about that. Uh, the Black Seminoles of, uh, of the Bahamas, Red Bays, the story of Red Bays, Bahamas. Red Bay's Bahamas is on Andros Island. It's the closest point of land between Florida and the Bahamas. 
And many, you're right, many slaves, uh, particularly from Georgia and the Carolinas, really, instead of going north, they came south. They walked south along the shoreline all the way to what's now Miami, all the way to what's now Key Biscayne. And from Key Biscayne in the 1700s, the skate slaves were taking boats, rafts, canoes that they built, and sailing themselves off to the Bahamas. So it, this became known as the Southern Underground Railroad, which ran right through what's now downtown Miami. It's uh, sending thousands of folks to Red Bay's Bahamas, and then beyond that to other places in the Caribbean um, as, a, as a way of escape for, uh, for uh, slaves coming out, particularly coming out of Georgia and the Carolinas. Um, uh, we, we yeah, about... uh, yeah, the Red Bay, uh, Black Seminoles of the Bahamas, the Red Bay story. I just thought to Many minutes long. Most of the folks that I interviewed are dead now, but they told the story of how that community got founded by black people coming down the Underground Railroad. Were, the were there were there any settlements uh, near the Everglades? I mean, as dangerous as that could have been. Yes, like Everglades. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Yes, there was a settlement called Seminola. It's now near what's uh, now Hialeah. Seminola was uh, identified um, after the Civil War as a place for 70,000 former slaves to be sent in Florida to farm and to be on their own. Uh, that's what the, UN, the, uh, the government wanted to do, uh, and it got blocked. Because once white people heard that all these former slaves were coming to Florida, this land, they bought it all up. It's now highly of Florida. But Seminola still has little, little uh, pockets of, uh, of, of Black folks out there that go back to that time. Oh, wonderful. I would like to ask you a question. I don't know how much time we got. I think we're running out. This hour goes fast, like we said. Let's talk about integration itself. Mm-hmm. What were the good things that came out of integration? And what were the bad things that have happened to us because of integration? Well, one of the good things that came out of, um, of, of, uh, of integration is that more African-American students were exposed to more uh, white students and to the, the white community by having gone to white schools or what have you. That was good. Our kids didn't have that kind of exposure coming up. We, we knew just black. It didn't work the other way where white students were coming into the black community and learning more about us. We got bust out there, but they didn't come That's into right. the black community. So good for the black kids that got out of the ghettos, got out of the black communities and got a better experience uh, uh, of the world, but that did not happen for white kids. What else happened that was good I think our young people got exposed to act to professions and 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 and, um, and ways of making a living that they never learned about by just being in black school. Uh, but you know, I run out of uh, out of good things to say about it because there are so many things that happened with integration that were not good. But we had, for example, we had four all black high schools in Miami, Florida, in, D- in Dade County, Florida. They all disappeared with integration. The, the school principals were made assistant principals in second white schools. So we lost educational leadership in the black community. We lost teachers. Our seasoned teachers were taken out of the black schools. So it, that that was a knife to cut both ways. Mm-hmm. What about entrepreneurship? Black-owned businesses. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that. I met the um, the owners of the so what had been the the Mary Elizabeth Hotel down there was the, the the colored hotel in Overtown, the big one where all the movie stars and athletes stayed. I talked to, to the gentleman whose dad owned that place, Dr. William Sawyer. And he was in his 70s when I talked to him. And he uh, shook his head and said, Dr. Dunn, you know, we were doing real well before innovation. People came to the hotel, people ate in our restaurants, people used our cleaners, people used our businesses, 
in Overtown, in the black community, and then integration came. And people could go to Miami Beach and stay in those hotels and eat in those restaurants. And so our businesses collapsed mm-hmm. as a result of integration. Bill Sawyer told me, I'm glad that black, black people got to do those things that we couldn't do before, but the impact on black businesses of desegregation was very destructive. I, um, I, I, I just pause and I think of how things are now legislatively. Were, were there uh, Blacks in, in politics who were just renowned uh, that people looked up to in the Florida area? Were there? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. We had a Black congressman doing uh, Reconstruction. Uh, Jonathan Gibbs was the, was, the, was the first Black Secretary of Education for the state of Florida. Mm-hmm. Right during, during, uh, during Reconstruction. It was Jonathan Gibbs that ordered all the schools in Florida to have the same textbooks. Uh, he was assassinated. That's a long story, but he was assassinated because of his prominence as a black leader. Uh, Josiah Walls was a black congressman from Florida during that time. We even had some black sheriffs in Florida counties during Reconstruction, and all of that went away uh, when the Union troops were pulled out of out of out of the South. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, subsequent to that time, we've had black congresswomen and congressmen elected in Florida in more recent times. And even today, we still have people serving us, representing us. I've heard of a teacher in Los Angeles called Erwin Davis. Have you heard of Mr. Davis? I'm not sure. Uh, He's uh, teaching African-American history in the high school at Dorsey High School. And that's and and given a pushback on not having. Wait a minute. I I went to Dorsey High School. Yeah. Dorsey High School. His name is Erwin Davis. I, I don't know that person. Okay. I, I, I what, thought maybe what, you might have been in contact with him. Uh, no, no, but Dorsey High School was my, my middle school and first year of my high school. Yeah, oh, school. wow. Wow. <laughs> don't get me talking about uh, Mr. How much time do we have? <laughs> oh, well, we have about 10 minutes. <laughs> Let me tell you, may I tell you about D.A. Dorsey? Yes. Yeah. D.A. Dorsey was a black man from, from uh, Putman, Georgia. Mine was founded in 1896. Railroad finally got down there. Uh, Dorsey was trained in carpentry, and he got here about six months before the railroad got here. He walked all the way to Florida. It took him almost nine months to get here, and he started building shotgun houses and rented them to people who came in after him, and he got rich. He was Miami's first black millionaire, D.A. Dorsey. He was the first black person in Miami who was allowed to own a car. When cars came out, black folks could buy cars. Dan Dorsey bought a brand new Cadillac for, and had a chauffeur drive him uh, to pick up his rent every Sunday. But, uh, but, but you know, Dan Dorsey, he was, he, was the, he was the superintendent of colored schools, but he only went to the fifth grade himself. But if you were a black person, you wanted to teach in Miami in the school system, you had to go to Mr. Dorsey's house, sit at his table, he would interview you and let you know whether you could teach or not. The last Dan Dorsey story is this. He, um, that was a very rich white man named uh, Bert Irons who ran the biggest department store in Miami. And during the Depression, he almost ran out of business. And he goes to Mr. Dorsey. Mr. Dorsey, Dorsey was very rich. He borrows $30,000 from Dorsey to keep his store open, the biggest department store in downtown Miami, Bird Irons. Dorsey lends him the $30,000. Uh, and Dorsey, uh, uh, Bird Irons recovers. The story comes back. Uh, and Mr. Dorsey's daughter told me this. She said that when the store came back into good standing, that... Um, Mr. Burdines uh, sent her father a check for the $30,000 plus interest and a letter saying you're no longer part owner 
of the Rhode Island Department Store was that loan was dependent upon him being part owner. And she said that when uh, Rhode Island was dying, he sent for her father to come to his deathbed and begged Mr. Dorsey to forgive him for what had happened between them. She said, Dr. Dunn, my, my daddy let him take that to his grave. He, he didn't forgive him for that. <laughs> anyway, that's, uh, you mentioned one of my favorite characters of night, Florida history. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for sharing that because I did not know about that. I was, you know, I learned about Irwin Davis in preparation to talk to you. And I thought, oh, here's someone else doing the same thing. Is it possible? I want to take your tour. So tell me how people like me can come and take your tour. Well, uh, that's a good question. Because I don't want what we're doing to be just a tour that people could take, like the Disney World or any other place. Right, this right. This is special. This is special. So if you really want to do this tour, we're going to open it up to people who are not necessarily um, living here in Florida, but want to come down and do the tour. Watch us on uh, MinusInterracialJustice.org. We were going okay. to we'll post how... Folks can can arrange to take this tour starting in the summer when we get enough um, organization in place to be able to have folks come in and do this. Uh, so just keep up with this on our website, uh, and we'll let you know when you can do that. Also, um, uh, I'll give you my email off the air. Okay. <laughs> and, we, and we can talk about it that way, too, so maybe we'll, sooner you can come down and okay. go with us. All right. <laughs> I want to I want to loop back. We you know we had a somewhat uh, insightful conversation a conversation about uh, Ron DeSantis. But uh, has True Tours experienced pushback, restrictions, or uh, do you feel as if you're being monitored because of now your notoriety? I mean, you're being interviewed. I mean, let's let's face it. MSNBC doesn't just call up Liz or I. Uh, they should. Uh, but they haven't. <laughs> uh, and Tremaine Lee, who I really admire, he's done some really groundbreaking oh, uh, documentaries to the South. Mm-hmm. Um, but but since that moment and since it caught my attention that morning, I'll never forget. I just sat riveted for the entire length of his interview with you. Uh, what have you experienced since then? The governor ignores me. Um, I, 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 uh, I I wrote him a letter months months ago when the soul that whole thing happened. Uh, the letter was printed in the Miami Herald. It asked him about 15 questions as to what I could or could not teach it in war in Florida. He never responded to that. Uh, I'm a gadfly that they wish would just go away and stop being around, uh, but that's not going to happen. Uh, and that's why we're going to New College and we we'll just take our claim there just to, to resist him. Um, but thank God for the media. Thank God for you all. Thank God for Charles Blow at the New York Times. But, the lady at the, at the Washington Post that did a front page story on our work for the Washington Post on a Sunday. So that's what's keeping uh, our energy up, our commitment up to keep doing this, that folks outside of Florida are paying attention. Because as I think, Clarence, you said, opening up the show, this is marching north. This is coming to other states. What's going on in Florida mm-hmm. is destined to become an issue in the 2024 election. And you're definitely showing us how to preserve and uh, and I and co-hosting this show with this lady uh, who um, Dark Past, Bright Future is her is her segment for this show. And uh, she travels throughout the country. And now she's a worldwide traveler. Now, uh, let me let me correct that. She is a worldwide <laughs> traveler now because she's retired. She and her husband go places. And 
but she has visited many plantations and she has this extensive Jim Crow memorabilia collection. All right, all right. Come on to mind, I'll take her to tour. Okay. And, and, uh, <laughs> credentials. Now, 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 no, no, <laughs> she's a thespian also now. Uh, oh, really? She, yeah, she writes and, and performs and reenacts. Black history. Black history. Uh, she and two other ladies have formed Resilience Productions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and when you two exchange information at the end of the show, I I really encourage you both just to dialogue because um, I I love the synergy of, uh, of when I see people with like minds come together and and these uh, different pursuits that have sort of consumed them, and she is well, consumed by that. Well, Liz, you, I want you to read my novel. I did one novel. It's called The Kingsleys. It's available. I've been there. You've been to the I read your novel. I have. I wish I could show you all my. You read books. my novel. I yeah. have it here. I've been to Kingsley Plantation, and so when when uh, I heard about you, and I looked up the books you've written, and I called Clarence. I said, Clarence, I have his book. I've been to Kingsley Plantation, and then without him asking, I started telling him all about the Kingsleys. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> well, that's going to be a movie one day. Yeah, there's a, a wow. or, or TV series. It was being discussed. Perfect. Wonderful. That, that story is sort of like Roots, you know, it's based yes. on yeah. and histories. And so we're talking yeah. about, about that possibility. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, uh, and I sent Clarence pictures of me at Kingsley Plantation. And, and, and now, now you must send Dr. Dunn these same photos. Uh, I oh, mean, oh she, I will. She was there. <laughs> now, now, the Kingsley Plantation is the only restored plantation in Florida. And it, and and that's one reason why it is so so significant, and the fact that it was at one, at one time run by a black woman who herself yes. had been enslaved yes. makes it a very very compelling story. Yes, at least in Florida back in the eighteen early eighteen hundreds. Well, well, we have a, a story of a woman in Kentucky. Uh, we we looked into her research. I can't the, the name escapes me right now, but Liz, when we went down and visited oh. with uh, the folks down there, how she was enslaved. Oh. Yes. But had a sort of, uh, I guess, a romantic involvement with her slave owner and which led to her release upon his deathbed. And he willed her portions of the property. Well, I think the two brothers willed her everything. Including the the slaves? uh, No, she got all of their property, furniture. Um, linens. I mean, they detailed. We, we, will send, we will send you that because one of the okay. interesting things okay. is, and what shocked us was she purchased young black slaves mm-hmm. to keep them out of the horrors of slavery. And, well, uh, and that was remarkable. Well, you know, one of the things I found out was that there, there were about 7,000 blacks who actually owned slaves yes. in this country. And that all of them did not own slaves just to protect them from, yeah. you know, evil. Some of them used slaves in the same way that white folks used yeah. slaves. Yeah. Well, presumably not with such brutality, but just to make the point that even some black people had slaves that worked for them and made money for them. Although a very, very small number of black folks had that right. um, uh, engaged in that practice. Um, but yeah, these are just fascinating stories. And the, 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 the Kingly story hinges on this black woman who owned slaves. Um, uh, and how she became one of the wealthiest women in Florida as a result of her marriage to this white man who owned her. 
Long, well, long story, but Dr. Uh, Dunn, Dr. Dunn, I, I want to stop you right there. Time has escaped. Ah, and, all right. and what I'm, what I'm <laughs> sensing right done. now is a part two to this conversation. <laughs> if right. you are willing, we will, uh, our people will call your people. <laughs> all right. You will try to arrange this. Let's, let's, because let's do that. You have just spun off a dozen more questions in my mind. But for those who are listening, we just want to thank Professor Meredith of the Department of Psychology at Florida International University, Dr. Marvin Dunn. He is, an, he is a researcher, documentarian, author, presenter, and now tour host of an amazing experience called Teach the True Tours. To learn more about this gentleman's amazing story, visit Dunn, D-U-N-N, history.com or Miami Center for Racial Justice.org. Again, Miami Center for Racial Justice. Org. We all have a story to tell, and our great and our government should not be in the business of regulating those stories. That's my little spill. Uh, thank you again, Dr. Dunn. Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bring it on at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org. Bringing On's executive producer is yours truly, Clarence Boone. Our assistant producer is Liz Mitchell. Show consultant and WFHB News Department Director is Kate Young. Program engineer is Chantal LaFontaine. Original theme music was created by Jamil Effian with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Clarence Boone. And I'm Liz Mitchell. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On, right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.